Where are the stories about Ikram Aliskarov coming out of UFC 288? Where are the features and conversation pieces about Kennedy and Zechiku, about Diego Lopez, about the smart adjustments and tactical approach of Charles Jordan, about the career-defining-for-this-moment effort of Yan Nan, who has clearly morphed into a legitimate contender and maybe the next title challenger in the women's strawweight division. Where's the discussion of the importance of Bilal Muhammad's victory over Gilbert Burns, the transformation he's had from the start of his UFC career when he opened one and two to where he's now undefeated in 10 straight and able to sit back and wait for a title opportunity? Where's the discussion of Aljamain Sterling and the third successful bantamweight title defense and the third consecutive former champion he's defeated and the nine fight winning streak that sets a new record and the conversation about his place in the pantheon of all time greats, not only for this division, but of this era of fighters in the UFC right now. I know those conversations are being had on podcast platforms by various people. But on this day, on this Monday morning, Monday afternoon, let's be honest, I'm nostalgic for the days when I could pull up a web browser and read Chuck Mindenhall sharing his thoughts on some of these subjects and read Ben Folks sharing his ideas and Sean Sheehan and Jeremy Botter and Dwayne Finley and anybody else. Because now when I open up my web browser or I jump on Twitter and I look at the coverage that is coming, it seems to be about everything else. Welcome to the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Monday, May the 8th, East Spencer Kite, four o'clock in the afternoon here in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. I want to talk about this shift in coverage and the shift in the way I feel we discuss these athletes, these events, these results, because it's very curious to me. And I want to, I want to say a few things up front. So we're clear where I'm coming from with this. First and foremost, I'm not telling anybody how they need to write, what they need to do, what they need to like. Everybody can do themselves their own way. This is strictly a me thing, a my opinion thing, and a putting it out here to get your thoughts, your opinions, your feedback on where I sit. Secondly, I have, for the last decade, been a freelance contributor to the UFC website. And I say that because there will invariably be someone along the way over the next several weeks, months, whatever, that says, of course the guy that writes at UFC.com wants it to be X, Y, and Z. Or of course he's going to give praise to the UFC website and the UFC as a whole because he writes there and he has to. I don't have to do anything. I give praise to that website and the staff that I work with and the team of people 
that I know and trust to cover this sport and these athletes top to bottom week in week out with greater detail than anyone else in this business because I've seen them do it. I watch them do it on a weekly basis, but we will get to that. Where I come from today with this, with these questions, with this podcast, with this off the dome, let's have a conversation stream of consciousness rant here is that coming out of UFC 288 on Saturday at Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, it feels to me like there are a ton of really cool stories and really cool elements that that we could be drilling down on. And when I say we, I mean we as a collective MMA media. I say we as a collective MMA audience. We could be asking for and investigating more of some of those names that I mentioned off the top. But instead it felt in the immediate aftermath, like one of the most prominent things people wanted to talk about and react to were Dana White's mentioning of the metrics of power slap, which for me makes no sense because one, I don't care. I I just legitimately, genuinely don't care. And I think most other people feel the same way, which then makes it confusing to me that people want to dive in and, and debate and argue and all of that thing. Because if we all don't care, then we can just let it be said and walk away. But it feels like more time is spent on that than discussing some of these relatively unknown fighters or less prominent athletes that turned in great performances on Saturday. And I'll use Ikram Aliskarov as sort of the starting point for this. So when I recorded the next day takeaways yesterday, which you can find here on the Keyboard Kimura Podcast Network, the podcast platform here on Substack, I likened, I talked about wanting to see him get a big step up in competition next time out, give him somebody like Roman Delize or Kelvin Gastelum, rather than matriculating him along through the jetsam and flotsam in the middle of the middleweight division because I, I just don't need to see it. He did what he did to Phil Hawes in two minutes and 10 seconds. Let me see if he can hang with somebody in the top 15 next time out. And then we can go from there. And I likened it to the main event announcement earlier this month or, or last month, I should say of Sean Strickland and Abbas Megomedov, where the reaction was largely by and large, who the fuck is this guy and what the hell is the UFC doing giving him a main event and foisting this main event upon us. I can understand a little bit because beating Dustin Stoltzfus isn't normally the way to a main event assignment. And usually it's not beat Dustin Stoltzfus or someone of that nature in your UFC debut and then face a top 10 guy in a main event in your sophomore appearance. But isn't this the kind of thing we've been asking for? all along for the UFC to promote some of these lesser known talents. Abus Magomedov is 32 years old. He's 30 fights into his career. He's 25, four and one as a professional fighter. So similarly 
to Alaskarov, I don't need to see him face Gerald Mearshart. Face Marc-Andre Barrio. Face Mahmoud Muradov. I would rather see him fight Sean Strickland to find out later this summer if he is somebody that can be a breath of fresh air in a perpetually stagnant middleweight division. And the same goes for Aliskarov, who turns in that performance on Saturday. And I guarantee, as I record this at 4.07 on Monday, May 8th, the year of our Lord, 2023, that there will be a large number of people whenever this gentleman is booked next that says, that say, excuse me, who is this guy? Why is he here? God, the UFC is terrible for putting him in this position on this main card against this person. And yet he just had one of the best debuts of the year. And the reason people are going to say, who is this guy? Why is he here? Is because we're not talking about it 36 hours, 48 hours later. Instead, we're talking about slap metrics. And we're talking about Marab Dwalishvili stealing Sean O'Malley's jacket, which, yes, is funny. It's amusing. It's Marab doing wild Marab things as he is wont to do. But it's not a bigger deal than a 30 year old former World Combat Sambo champion rolling into the octagon, blasting through Phil Hawes, and moving to 14 and 1, where that one loss is to Hamzat Chemaev, who is the boogeyman of maybe two divisions right now. It's weird to me because in the couple of days after an event like this, we get Colby Covington's thoughts on Bilal Muhammad's win, and they are, as you would expect, full of Colbyisms, full of nonsense, full of stuff that I don't care about and I don't understand why so many people care about. And yet, we don't have those discussions about Bilal Muhammad's growth and development over the years and what it means to go undefeated for 10 straight fights in the welterweight division and to win five straight fights against the level of competition that he's beaten during that, during that run and that he did it coming out of Ramadan. We don't have the conversation about, or the discussion of, Yan Jonan and her place, Diego Lopez's great performance. And it just feels to me like we've, we've pivoted from covering the athletes and events and results and ramifications to detailing everything else. And that's, I think that's the right word. It's just detailing it. It's just parroting things that are already out there in the ether more than anything else. It feels to me a little bit like there's a lack of analysis and original thought being put out for people to consume these days. And that's certainly, that's probably not true because there's a proliferation of podcasts. But in terms of 
aftermath and after effects of these events, I just don't see the things that we used to see, right? And that, that's going to sound weird for me, the guy that often sits here and talks about or writes about how the nostalgia people feel for the UFC of old and the days when they liked it best loses sight of the here and the now and what is currently the reality. But I'm nostalgic for the days of hearing what Chuck Mendenhall had to say, of reading what Ben Folks or Chad Dundas or Shaheen Al-Shadi had to say after an event. And I know that all of those people are still active to certain degrees within this space. Ben and Chad are still pumping out the CME. Shaheen, I read your takeaways on Sunday. Chuck is still on the Ringer podcast with Ariel and Pizzi after every event, before every event. So I get that there are ways for me to consume that content. But it used to be the most prominent content in this space. And it doesn't seem that way anymore. And I miss it. Because it feels like we're, we're missing the bigger picture, if that makes sense. We're missing the, what to me, are the more important things. And I say the more important things because in six months' time, what Colby Covington had to say about Bilal Muhammad's performance on Saturday won't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter now, six minutes later, but in six months time, it won't matter. But in six months time, when Kennedy and Zechiku is ranked in the top 15 and facing another top 15 opponent, what he did on Saturday to get that opportunity is going to matter. And we haven't spent any time, any real time talking about it explaining who this young man is and the development he's had and the things that he has had to endure during the course of his UFC career. And the interesting piece of it to me is that all of those things, all of those responsibilities are often laid at the feet of the UFC. And now listen, do not get me wrong for one minute. As the promoter, as the promotion it is incumbent on the UFC to detail these things, to introduce people to these athletes, to give them a platform and a means to showcase themselves and be rolled out to the audience. I would question, however, or I would push back against the people that say that the UFC doesn't do this. And here's why. Every Monday on the UFC website, I write a piece called the Fight by Fight Preview. Every single week, ahead of every single event, we go from top to bottom telling you who's fighting and a little bit about each one of those athletes. I also write a series called Fighters on the Rise, which goes a little more in-depth, a little more detailed into three athletes on the upcoming fight card that are ascending in their division or in the case of, of some fighters like this week, Tainara Lisboa, making their promotional debut and are people that I feel you should pay attention to 
or are going to be potentially people of interest. Last week, Ikram Aleskarov was one of the athletes in that piece, along with Mavsari Vloyev and Rafael Estevam, who was ultimately scratched from the card. Additionally, throughout the week, the UFC staff, both digital and video, and written, I should say, put out more features and coverage of the athletes stepping into the octagon than anyone else in the sport. And yes, you can say, as they should, fine. But no one else is doing it. And to say that the UFC isn't is categorically incorrect. We're doing it. I spoke to five athletes on last week's card. I spoke to three more on this card coming up in Charlotte. The rest of the team from Tom Gervasi, Zach Paklub, Mackenzie Pavisic, Madden, Madden Johnson Thomas, everybody else, Steve Luttrell, Gavin Porter, all the crew talked to all of these athletes. There will be features on 90% of every single fight card from start to finish throughout the year. So they're getting coverage. They're getting opportunities. The places where it's not happening and where it's not transpiring is with everyone else. And look, I get it. Everybody has to service their market, has to serve their customers. And their customers probably don't want to hear about Ikram Aliskarov going into his fight with Phil Haas or coming out of his fight with Phil Haas, for that matter. Same with Kennedy and Zechiku. Same with probably Mavsari Vloyev, Yan Jaonan, or maybe even all the way up to Bilal Muhammad. But to then turn around and pretend like it's only the UFC's fault that these people aren't known or that people don't care or aren't invested seems false to me. Because the opportunity is there to cover them for everyone. And while it's not anyone else's responsibility to promote these events and these athletes, the opportunity is there. And if you're going to, in my opinion, stump for these men and women deserving better, give them better. Lead by example. Show everybody what better is. We all have the power to talk about anyone we want to in any depth, in any detail we choose. And yet, the choice, more often than not, it seems, is to talk about who said what on Twitter and how the pros reacted to a certain fight rather than what that fight means in the greater significance of a division or a title chase or an individual's career. Back in November 2021, I wrote a piece on this substack, on this newsletter, that was titled, Do Fight Fans Even Care About Fights Anymore? And it was coming out of a fight night event that was headlined by Ketlin Vieira and Misha Tate and featured a bunch of really good fights and really strong performances. And it felt to me then, as it feels to me now, like everything except the event itself and the results themselves were being discussed in the aftermath. 
We didn't want to talk about what a win over Joanne Wood meant for Tyla Santos, even though it became the victory that catapulted her to a championship opportunity. And it made me think back to previous conversations and discussions I've had with people within this space about fighters in similar situations and how their position is often, well, the UFC didn't do X, Y, and Z. And my counter is, well, did you? And I know, again, as I said, the expectation and the responsibilities are very different. But to suggest that no one but the UFC can put these athletes over and can speak to the audience about these men and women is false to me. We have the strongest voice. We have the greatest platforms. We have the biggest opportunities. Because in part, for so many years, so many of us have run around telling everybody not to pay attention to UFC.com. And I'm not saying this from a position of feeling sorry for myself or please take pity on me and the crew. I am saying this from a position of having had conversations with people within this industry that have told me to my face, into my own ears, that stuff doesn't really count. People don't really look at the work you do there as meaningful and valid because of where it is. And if you're just going to discount all of the things that are done that are greater in terms of the things people are asking for all the damn time, then of course we're going to be in this position where everybody wants to say, this isn't happening. They need to do this better and lay it at, at someone else's feet as if we all have to sit around and wait for the UFC to tell us who to follow, who to pay attention to, who's important, and really make sure that we know who everybody is. I get that the landscape has changed and that this isn't the pre-social media days when we all went to websites to read what people thought. Now we consume things in different ways. All of us are watching events on second screens and consuming information on second screens and Twitter and social and looking at things from those perspectives. And we're working towards and, and pushing towards those metrics. I get all of that. But what I don't get is why that means we have to eschew any other coverage, almost any other coverage. Because it feels to me like the two things can at the very least exist together. For me, I've never been one and, and I won't be one. And I don't mean that in a like, you're never going to see me do that. Like I'm better or different. It's just that I'm different. I don't have the obligations of a major website that is geared towards traffic and engagement and things of that nature. I write here on a Substack for myself. I write at UFC.com doing features and profiles, hitting my deadlines, completing my assignments and checking out. But the social side of things and the peripheral elements 
that seem to be at the fore these days have never been my wheelhouse, have never been a thing that I've been interested in, and frankly never will be. And I just don't seem to understand, and I'm asking this genuinely now to anybody listening, can you help me understand how all of those things are of greater importance, significance, or value than going through an event like this in the aftermath and talking about the performances themselves and the people that stood out and the new names that rose to prominence and the roads that those individuals took to get to where they are and what it might mean for them going forward. Because it feels like those pieces are lost and then we get down the road and say, I wish somebody told me these things. As always, and this is going to sound wildly self-serving, and I don't care. If you want to know about every single fighter on every single fight card, come here to Keyboard Kimura, spencerkite.substack.com. Every Wednesday, one question for every fight. Every Thursday, 10 things I like that goes over more than just the main events. Go to UFC.com and read the fight-by-fight preview and Fighters on the Rise and the profiles that myself and Tom Gerbasi and the rest of the crew put out on every man and woman that steps into the octagon every single Saturday. Because we got you covered. It's out there. The thing that everybody says they want The thing that everybody says is missing and lacking and needs to happen and they need to know and how come I don't know about this person and somebody should have told me. There are people out here trying their damnedest to tell you. You just got to take the time to listen and maybe change up who it is you're listening to. I'm never going to understand why all of the peripheral stuff means so much. Did I get a laugh out of Marab Dwalashvili stealing Sean O'Malley's coat? Yeah, it was cute. Did I need to read a story about it and get Sean's thoughts afterwards? Nah, I want to read a story about Matt Frivola knocking out Drew Dober and the run he's on as a veteran guy that's been around for a while and put in the work and is now experiencing the best run of his career. I want to read the story about Yan Nan and the changes she's made since dropping a split decision to Marina Rodriguez last year in January to go on this two-fight winning streak that's put her in title contention. That's the stuff I want to hear about. I get that I'm the outlier, though. And so to everybody that isn't hanging out with me in the minority on Outlier Island... I need you to jump into the comments and jump into my Twitter feed at Spencer Kite and tell me what I'm missing. Tell me what piece of it I'm not seeing because I can't understand how all this stuff that seems to take so much prominence at the end of all of these events is so much more important than the stuff everybody says they want week after week event after event. 
This has been the Keyboard Kimura Podcast on the Keyboard Kimura Substack. I'm E. Spencer Kite. Talk to you tomorrow.